morning, everybody. Please open your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 6. And that's the final time I get to say that in this series, because this is the last message in this series. If you are brand new here at New Life, first time with us, for the last eight weeks, we've been studying our way through the book of 1 Timothy. And I hope that it's been a wonderful study for you. Really, the, the, the book of 1 Timothy, it's, it's an incredible book of the New Testament that is about the biblical city of Ephesus. And it's a book in the Bible about the church right here in Bella Vista, Arkansas, too. It was addressed to a young man named Timothy. He was a personal friend of the Apostle Paul's. And it's addressed to you and me and all those who desire to live a godly life in, in this world. Those of us that have taken hold of that which is to come in the next life. It's a book for us, too. It's a, it's a book about living a godly life without any compromises whatsoever in a world that's full of compromises. Uh, First Timothy, in a number of ways, is a manual for, for the church. And I pray that, that this book of the Bible has taught you and it has inspired you to do what Paul talks to Timothy about, especially right here in the very last part of this letter. In verse 12 of chapter 6, Paul is going to tell Timothy, fight the good fight of faith. How many of you, that's not the first time you've ever heard that phrase before? Fight the good fight. And I love this language that Paul uses. Fight. He's like, Timothy, hey, this is a good fight. Everything that I have been writing to you about, all of these chapters. Well, listen, being successful, it's not going to be a walk in the park. No, it's not. It's going to be a fight, and it's worth fighting for. Now, this language of fight the good fight, it comes at the end of the letter. But if you recall, he's kind of talked the same way at the very beginning of his letter, too. You don't need to turn there, but I'll just show you. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18, Paul says this at the very beginning. He says, Timothy, my son, I am giving you this command in keeping with the prophecies once made about you, so that by recalling them, you may fight the battle well. So here at the beginning and at the end of this letter, Paul's just reminding Timothy that this battle that we are in, it's a good battle, but it's a battle nonetheless of living this Christian life. It's a battle to struggle, and I think many of us know that well. It's not always easy to live by faith and not by sight, is it? It's not always the easiest thing to do. No, it's a fight. That, that particular fight is chock full of wins and losses for all of us. It's a battle at times. To, to make the, the integrity filled, the righteous decision, and to reject the easy path. Especially when we see so many other people, what seemingly they get ahead of us by not being integrity people. It's a good fight to hold on to pure doctrine and to godly living and to generosity when everyone else wants to pursue worldly uh, pursuits, materialism, selfish endeavors, and they just glory in themselves. It, it's tough. It is a battle. So I think right here, Right at the end of the letter, Paul needed Timothy to realize that this is a battle for his faith. This is a battle for the Christian church right here in biblical Ephesus. It's a good fight. It's a battle. And he's wanting to know, Timothy, are you up for it? And I wonder, is that how we see this same fight today? Do we see it the exact same way? That we are in a battle for our faith. We are in a battle. We're in a fight for the future of New Life Christian Church right here in Bella Vista. I think as followers of Jesus, this is the realization we need to be at today, that, that, uh, that we are in a fight for this church, we're in a fight for our faith. 
I don't know. Do you think that the devil is just going to roll over and say, you know what, I don't even like those people in Bella Vista. You can just have them. No, he's not going to say that. He's not going to be like, yeah, you know, there's 30-something thousand people there in Bella Vista. I don't like them anyway. New life, they're all yours. No, he's not going to do that at all. We're in a battle. I would say that we're in a spiritual battle. If not, I would call it what the Bible, a spiritual war for our faith and the future of the Christian church here in Bella Vista. And starting in verse 11, Paul will outline for Timothy kind of what this fight, what this battle is going to look like. If you look at verse 11, this is what it says. But you, man of God, and I love man of God here. I love this phrase. He identifies for Timothy exactly who you are. You are a man of God. So you, man of God, flee from all of this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In the sight of God, who gives life to everything, and of Christ Jesus, who while testifying before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time. God, the blessed and only Redeemer, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives or who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see, to him be honor and might forever. Amen. You know, I think in many ways, these, these last few verses here in uh, the book of 1 Timothy, it's Paul's way of clarifying for Timothy what your true mission, what your true purpose uh, is, is all about. He said, Timothy, you made a commitment. This is what he's reminding him. You made a commitment. You stood up before God, and you stood up in front of all these witnesses, and you made a commitment, a good confession. Most likely, what the moment that Paul is referring to, we don't know for certain, but what makes the most sense is probably the day that he chose to follow Christ and be baptized. And he made his good confession. I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. I'm going to live for him for the rest of my life. I can visualize the scene. Maybe he's down in the river, and he's with some friends and family and others from the church. And he says, I will do this. I will be committed to Jesus. Probably not unlike what you see when this screen goes up and somebody makes the same good confession. Most likely, it's that moment. He's saying, Timothy, you made a commitment in front of God and witnesses. Don't back out now. Don't back out now. And he brings up Jesus in his charge here. He says, remember Jesus, he stood before Pontius Pilate. We read about that moment in the Gospels. And it's almost like Paul is telling Timothy, Jesus made a good confession. He didn't back out. His life was on the line. And he was standing in front of the guy that could have released him or sent him to the cross. And he still had stuck to his good confession. He did not back down. He gave it. And Timothy, you are in the same position. Don't give up now. We're in a battle. Let's fight the good fight. And you know, I think this charge to Timothy is the exact same charge Paul would give to each and every one of us. Don't give up. Fight the good fight. If I had to guess, in our church right now, maybe even right here in this room, there might be some among us who are wondering if continuing on with the Christian life, if it's still worth it. I don't know if you're struggling with that right now. Is it worth this fight? Is it 
Is it still worth to fight this fight? You know, I'm tired of doing the right thing all the time. Anybody feel that way? I'm not sure it's worth it anymore. Tired of treating everybody fairly. Integrity, it's overrated. I'm watching everybody else who doesn't have it get ahead, but here I am. I'm trying to do the right thing, the fair thing, the integrity thing, and it's not getting me ahead. Tired of going to church every Sunday. I don't want to guard my eyes anymore. I don't want to guard my heart any longer. I don't want to resist temptation. I I want what I want. Why am I sticking this out? Why am I staying true? Why am I fighting so hard to make this work still? Friends, I don't know if any of you in this room are struggling with that, but my gut tells me maybe some of you are. And if you are, I want you to listen and be encouraged and challenged by the words of Paul today when he says, fight the good fight. You made a commitment to God. You made a commitment in front of a lot of witnesses. You made a good confession to follow Jesus for the rest of your life. And why did you do that? Because it tells us right here in verse 12, because you took hold, you grabbed with all of your might eternity, knowing at one point in your life what is to come is far better than anything we could experience here. You made a good confession to fight the good fight, and I think what Paul would say to you is don't give up now. Don't don't quit now when it's difficult. No, stay the course. Continue to grab tightly to that which you committed to all those years ago. Eternity is what's in front of us. But let's be honest, it can be easy to lose sight of eternity that we took hold of while we're trying to live the everyday battleground that is called life. You know, this past week I was watching a documentary on Amazon Prime. Yeah, I do those things from time to time. I I like documentaries. Everybody like documentaries? And this particular documentary was called Black Hawk Down, the untold story. How many of you remember back in 1993, two of our, our helicopters were shot down over the streets of Mogadishu, Somalia? And they made a movie about it. Did you guys see the movie? Very popular movie a few years ago. Well, this was a documentary um, about that day, and it's the untold part of that story. What they say is the untold part. It's the story of the brave soldiers of the 214. They did not get a lot of press during the making of that movie, but uh, the, the soldiers of the 214, which is just short for the uh, 2nd Battalion, 14th Regiment of the 10th Mountain Division. That's a mouthful, isn't it? So yeah, the 214. These were the soldiers who heroically fought their way through the streets of Mogadishu towards those crash sites, towards those stranded soldiers with the mission of bringing them home. That day in Mogadishu in 1993, according to this documentary, was, they said, was the heaviest fighting American soldiers had faced since Vietnam. So Vietnam to 1993, that was the, the heaviest fighting. Now, of course, this documentary is filled with eyewitness testimonies and interviews of soldiers from the 214 who were there that day, who, who fought the streets. And I, just something you know about me, I'm fascinated by this. I was never in the services. I've never been in combat before. Um, and so to hear testimony of guys who have, that's, that's always something very emotional and interesting to me. There was this one soldier who was recalling the, those hours of that fight. And um, when, his, when they rolled into the heaviest part, they got to the crash sites, he's talking about and describing a scene where bullets are flying in every direction and RPG rounds 
are, are coming from all different directions, bouncing at his feet and all these things exploding. It, it's, it's a chaotic scene. And, and he tells a very, very um, honest, humble telling of that moment saying, I don't know why I was there. I wanted to get out of there. And he said, I was sitting there, and I'm going, the longer we stay here, we're just going to get shot up. Why are we here? Let's get out of here. And he was very open about those emotions in that moment. We got to go. And he said, I, I feel like all my guys around me were feeling the same way. And he said, it was at that moment a colonel got on the radio. They don't say why he did this, but perhaps this colonel was just feeling that maybe, and I don't know, I'm guessing a little bit here, was maybe feeling like maybe the troops were questioning their mission. And, and he got on the radio and he said this, look, we are going to stay here as long as it takes to get everybody out of here, and that's what we're doing. And this soldier said when he heard his, his colonel come over the radio and clarify the mission, he goes, that was it, that's all I needed. He said, it's a weird thing. It's like my anxiety just kind of left at that moment. And I was like, we're here till the job gets done. He understood the fight in that moment. He clarified the mission in front of him. And if you know the story, they were successful completely. In many ways, I think Paul to Timothy is like that colonel to that soldier in this documentary. So let me remind you what this is all about. Let me get you back focused on what the big picture is. Timothy, this is indeed a fight. This Christian life that we're in, it is a fight, and it is a good fight. It's not an easy fight, but it's a good fight. It's a spiritual battle. It's what it is. The reward is heaven. It's what God has already secured for us, and it's the victory that's already won, and it's worth the effort to see this fight to its conclusion. So don't give up. We go back to verse 11. And he says, man of God, flee from all of this. We're going to talk about the all of this in a moment, but those words flee. Now let's be honest. When we're talking about a fight and a spiritual battle, the word flee doesn't sound much like fighting, does it? It doesn't to me. I think most of us would, would, would say that, uh, that, that there would be times when fleeing is a mark of a true coward. I think if any of you fought... Um, in our service before, you would probably say something like, hey, if somebody flees, that's cowardly. But in this case, this idea of fleeing in the way that Paul describes it in a spiritual battle, this good fight that we're all in, fleeing is actually a characteristic of a good and wise and committed soldier of Jesus. Fleeing is a means to victory. So he says, man of God, flee from all of this, well, what is the this? What is the, the stuff that he's supposed to flee from? Well, in the context of chapter 6, where we've been here these last couple weekends, chapter 6 is all about the love of money. It's about materialism, and it's about false doctrine. And so he's saying, man of God, flee from all of this. Flee from false doctrine and the stuff that comes with it that we've listed off in this series. Controversies, quarrels, fights, envy, strife, all that stuff. That is a product of false teaching. He says, flee from that. Flee from the love of money. Do you remember Paul said it's the root of all kinds of evils? Like the love of money is the breeding ground for thousands of other sins. Flee from that stuff. Flee from, from selfishness and cheating and fraud and perjury and robbery and envy and quarreling and hatred and violence and murder and blackmail. All of these things that we can say stem 
from the love of money most of the time. I wonder if Christians today, if us in this room, if we have lost sight of this incredible tactic called fleeing. It's worked for plenty of godly people in the Bible. I'm thinking about the guy in Genesis chapter 39 named Joseph. Remember that Joseph with the coat of many colors? Remember that guy? You can go back and read all of his story, but there's this moment in chapter 39 where Joseph is put in charge of a man's house. That man's name was Potiphar, and Potiphar said, nothing's off limits except my wife. Well, Evidently, Potiphar's wife didn't think anything was off limits to her either, including Joseph. Now, I'm going to spare you some of the details because I know we've got young ears in here. And any of you can go read all of those details in Genesis 39. And some of you are like, later, I'm going to read those details. The Bible describes Joseph as a well-built, handsome man, probably tons of hair. I can relate. And um, so... And he was very desired by Potiphar's wife, and she was very aggressive. She fit right in in the 21st century. And she got a hold of him, and she literally said, you come be with me. It's a little more detailed than that. You can read it on your own. You come be with me. And Joseph, in verse 9, he says like the, the statement of the ages, and he says, how can I do that? How can I do such a wicked thing? Never said he didn't want to do it. He says, how could I do such a wicked thing? And then he says, and sin against God. And he pulled away from her and ran out of the house while she is ripping clothes off of his body, and some of his clothes stay behind. Now, in this case, literal fleeing is what worked. But in this case, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, this idea of fleeing really holds this, this idea, this concept of sinning. So when he says, Timothy, man of God, flee separate yourself from all of these things. What are all of these things? Worldliness, false teaching, the love of money. The, those are the things, and everything comes with, you flee from that. Believe it or not, we fight by fleeing. It's a mark of the good fight, the spiritual battle that we are in. And sometimes running or, 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 or separating ourselves is the best way to avoid defeat. Now, I want to tell you three ways today that I think Fleeing, separating ourselves is a path to victory, okay? The spiritual battle, this, this good fight that we're in. If you're taking notes, it'd be a good thing to write down. If you're in the app, this is the fill in the blank. What are we to flee from? Well, one, we're supposed to flee from sinful actions. It's kind of sprinkled all over the pages of the New Testament. What do we flee from in this fight? We separate ourselves from sinful actions. Kind of like, like Joseph did. There was, there was a sinful action that could have very easily taken place, and he fled from that. Good friend of mine, one of my best friends, lives on the West Coast, and very strong Christian man. He told me about a business trip that he was on a few years ago with some other guys. And um, he said, as we're on our way to this meeting, there was a change in location. He wasn't sure where this new location was, but when he got there and he got out of his car, he realized that this new meeting location was actually going to be at a gentleman's club. And I'm really happy to tell you that my friend, he stood his ground. He told those guys he was with, he goes, I am not going in there, and we are not having our meeting in there. That's not something that we're going to do. And so he literally 
fleed. He fled. He separated himself. He stood his ground. He didn't care what it cost. He didn't care what business wasn't going to happen. He said, we're not doing this, and I'm not going in. He's like, like, I am fleeing from this. What he understood is something I think many of us understand, is that if we flirt with danger, we're probably going to fall into it. That there is this caution this, this, this lost art of fleeing that many Christians need to bring back into their battle tactics, of this idea of fleeing. I'm not going to have anything to do with that. Here, here's the danger. We've got to be careful. Sin usually begins very slowly and very subtly. And what I mean by that is that sometimes the things that pull us away from God happen slowly. Maybe long before there was an action, there was other things associated with it. Maybe uh, just a glance. Maybe uh, a thought. An innocent kiss. A simple purchase. Without it, what's the big deal? Friends, there are things that seem simple and innocent that we still need to flee from because of what they lead us to. Friends, here's the thing. If we're going to win this battle because we are in a good fight, we need to flee, separate ourselves from sinful actions. Here's the second thing we need to do. We need to flee from sinful desires. Because long before there's an action, there's a what? There's a desire. If you were to go back and reread verse 9 and 10 of this chapter, you're going to see that Paul talks about things, again, like the love of money and the craving for riches and for the things that pull us away from God. Long before there's ever an action, there's a desire that has been growing. Sometimes that desire takes a long time to grow. Going back to my friend who I just told you about, about the, the business meeting that he wouldn't go into, um, do you know that for him, that was not a difficult decision? It wasn't a, it's not like he stood at the front door and contemplated for 20 minutes whether he should go in there or not. It's not like he stepped inside the lobby, then stepped out in the parking lot, stepped inside the lobby, stepped out, stepped out, should I do it, should I not, should I go in, should I stay? I don't know, what's the big deal? Maybe I should not do that. I, the bigger, you know, none of that happened. You know why? Because he had already embraced the desire to be a godly and faithful man of God before this. And that desire overrode his desire for that place. He had already worked this out. He had already put to rest this desire to be unfaithful and to be ungodly. And so when he was presented with the action, it became an easy decision. Friends, that's the thing that happens here is that when we, is when we don't entertain sinful desires, when the opportunity presents itself, those actions become simple to reject. Because we don't entertain the sinful desires. Separate yourself. Flee from these things. But long before the action, long before the desire, there's something else we should flee from. This is the third thing. Flee from sinful thoughts. Flee from sinful thoughts. What exactly is a sinful thought? Well, it's exactly what you might assume it would be. Jesus addressed this in Matthew chapter 27 one time when he said these famous words, and I'm sure many of you are familiar with them. Jesus said, you have heard that it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his 
heart. So there's this implication by Jesus here is that sin has its beginnings long before the action ever takes place. It begins with sinful thoughts that leads to sinful desires, which eventually, when the opportunity avails itself, becomes a sinful action. But let's be honest, that is an easy example, isn't it? To say, don't entertain sinful thoughts. For men, that's an easy one. Say, okay, don't lust after women. But I tell you, there's some other sinful thinking that is not quite so obvious, and and maybe um, you've never really thought about it before. I think the less obvious example of sinful thinking would be, you know, asking the question, why do I run after materialism? Why do I crave what the earth tells me, what this world tells me I need to crave? You know, all the stuff that Paul's been writing about in this book, could it be because we have entertained or are right now entertaining the sinful thought that God just isn't enough for me. Now just think about this with me. At its core of sinful thinking is this idea that I I don't believe God can do or will do what he says he will do. I don't believe God knows best. That's a sinful lie that I think some of us believe. For example, why do we lie? You ever lie? You ever fib? You ever, you know, bend the truth? You ever, why, why do you do that? Is it because you believe or you have entertained a sinful thought by believing that things will go better for you if you, if you lie? That, that you believe yourself more than you believe what God said when he said, do not lie. So why do you do that? Is it because you've entertained that sinful thought that you know best? Why do you give in to sexual impurity? Why, why do you do that? Is it because you don't believe that purity is the best thing for you? Is it because you've entertained that sinful thought that purity's not the best thing for me? You don't believe that God's plans in this area of your life are the best ones? Well, I know what I want. I know how to get what I want. I know what the heart wants. And I don't believe purity is best for me. Isn't that really grounded in this lie that I don't believe God? Why do you struggle with doubt? Why do you struggle with despair? Is it because you don't believe that God will take care of you? Is it because you don't believe that he is good? Is it because you don't believe that his promises are true? And you've entertained those sinful thoughts in your mind. Really, when Paul said, fight the good fight, at the heart of that is simply this, believing God. This, this fight that we're in is about, I believe God to do everything that he said. I believe his promises. I believe that what he said is true will come true, and I, I believe God. That's at the heart of it. See, sinful thoughts creep in, and they take over that, and they keep us, and they stop us from believing what God says. When God says, I know what's best for you, and we say, I don't know. Maybe I know what's best for me. These are sinful thoughts. Right there, this is where, friends, I'm just telling you, when, 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 when Paul says, Timothy, man of God, you flee from these sinful actions, these sinful desires, and these sinful thoughts. And friends, if we can do that today, that right there is the majority of the battle of this good fight. 
What is the good fight? It's owning this part of it and winning in this part. And if you win here, you are well on your way to winning in every other area. But it's not just about what we flee from. There is clear language about what we are also to pursue in this good fight. So we flee this, but what do we pursue instead? Well, he tells us right here in verse 11, pursue godliness, pursue righteousness, pursue faith, pursue love, pursue endurance, pursue gentleness in those things. That's the good fight. I flee from this and I pursue this. Friends, it's right here in these few verses. And if you can fight this battle well, well, I tell you, you are a good and faithful servant. You are holding on to this commitment, this good confession that you made in front of God and witnesses when you took hold of eternity and said, I'm in this for life. I'm in this for eternity. This is the good fight. What do you flee from? What do you pursue? In a nutshell, it's the good fight. Now, there are a few more verses left in this incredible letter, and there's five verses left, and many people have wondered if these last five verses are kind of like a, oh, by the way, oh, P.S., have you ever written a letter and said, uh, you said everything, and then you thought, oh, wait a minute, P.S., tell so, this is a lot of people think that, I'm not so sure, I'm not so sure this is a P.S. to the letter. I think this is a summation of maybe the whole thing. Think about this with me for just a minute. Let's say, you know, T Paul writes this letter to Timothy, and he says, command the church, do that. I mean, this letter was written when the church was a mess, okay? I'm going to assume that when Timothy started to enact these battle plans and start preaching these things and sharing this letter with the church, that there was response. I'm going to think that there were some people that were sinning that rejected it, some that were totally in and of themselves that became followers of the Lord again, some that craved after the things of the world and materialism and riches, and there's like, I don't want that anymore. I want to follow Jesus. I'm going to assume that happened. What about those people? What about the ones that turned from all of this stuff that we've been learning about? What about them? I think that's Verse 17, look with me, would you? Right at the very end, he says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of life that is truly life. Do you understand that the, the biblical antidote to materialism is extravagant giving? It's the cure. It's generosity. It's almost like if you want to be rich towards something, if you really want to be rich, be rich in giving. This is the final thought that Paul is saying. I, I, I don't know if I'm exactly right, but I, I think there's part of it anyway. All those people who desired riches and got them, here's tell them this instead. Be rich in generosity. Be rich in giving. Put your hope in God. He's the one who provides. Be rich towards God. Be rich in good deeds. Be generous. Be willing to share. The, the antidote to this worldliness we've been talking about truly is giving. And then finally, he says this in verse 20. I could say a whole lot more about that, but let's finish up here. Verse 20, Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to your care. 
turn away from godless chatter and the opposing ideas of what is falsely called knowledge, all that stuff he's been writing about, about false doctrine, turn away from all that stuff, which some have professed and in doing so have departed from the faith. Grace be with you all. And I love the last few words here because when we started this letter, it was addressed to Timothy. When we finish this letter, it's referring to us in the plural, all of you. I tell you, it gives me a lot of comfort to know that when I read the New Testament, that there is, there is this language in the New Testament that it's not just for the person they wrote it to, it is for all of us. And so Paul started with Timothy, and he ends it with all of us, and that brings me a lot of great comfort. And the all of us is in this good fight together. Fight the good fight. Let's flee. Let's separate ourselves from what is not godly. And then let's pursue, let's run towards all that is. Friends, that is the good fight.